Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a podcast from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church with five locations in Utah. Each week we'll be hearing from our lead pastor, Paul Roby, and others as we explore what it means to be fully delighted in God and how we help as many people as possible experience this at SMCC. This is the Fully Delighted Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. This is a podcast that we hope will spur on conversation that'll bring more delight and less despair to your life. My name is Adam. I'm the Campus Support Team Director here at South Mountain Community Church. And today I'm joined by Paul Roby, our lead pastor, and Eric Nelson, our teaching pastor. Guys, it's great to have you on today. Good to be here. Yeah, really, to it. really excited to keep this conversation going. It's been, uh, it's been very fun. Excellent. Yeah, I, I got to say, I, I really know a lot of people that have told me that this is just a helpful conversation. I think um, people need uh, helpful conversations, hopeful conversations today, mm-hmm. uh, more uh, now more than ever. And before we even jump into my, my intro or anything like that, listen, if you're listening to this, you know, you know, the day that it's released, we know this has been a, a really crazy week. And, um, you know, we have some things to say on this and, and, um, and even more to say, but Eric, I mean, it kind of stars off on just what's something brief that you want to just mention about this week and, and how we as a church are thinking about all these events. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, in our, uh, city, just like most major cities across our country, uh, riots, looting, all that is, is taking place. And, uh, as a church, uh, we want to engage that. We think the gospel speaks into that. And, um, and yet, here's what we read in the New Testament, and we also read this in the book of Proverbs, uh, similar ideas to this, which is be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak. And that's really guiding us as a, as a church, you know? Um, it, you know, in, in this world, it seems like there's um, new expectations, new rules being invented around uh, how to speak. And uh, man, if I'm honest, those are difficult for me to keep up with. I don't quite know how to live inside of the expectations that everybody has for us. At times, uh, we probably say more than people like. At times, we probably say less than people would like. But here's what we've been doing. We've been uh, we've been quick to listen, slow to speak. And so we will speak to the issue uh, this weekend in our Sunday service. We're going to commit uh, the whole service um, to this. And, uh, and, and we're going to really highlight the beauty of diversity in the story uh, of a Jesus follower um, named John Perkins. And so we're very excited ab- about that. Um, but for people maybe expecting for us to talk about it today, we still feel like it would be too quick to speak on it today for, for us personally. And so uh, we really hope people will tune in this weekend um, as we engage the topic. Yeah, somebody uh, who's lived as long as I have looks at virtue signaling as kind of a foreign concept. It's it's kind of just a new thing because I think it comes with social media. And I, I, I view social media as filled with pitfalls, landmines. Yes. It seems like no matter what is said, it can be picked apart. And you can't virtual signal in such a perfect way that everybody's going to say, yeah, you're right. And that's amazing. And, and so... I'm not saying anything on social media until I can understand what's going on. So I really appreciate what you're saying, Eric. And I kind of take a a look at this whole thing from a historic perspective. I mean, this is found, the the whole idea of racism is found in the Bible. Uh, I've traveled all around the world, a lot in Africa. I've seen racism uh, lived out in virtually every culture in every country that I've ever been to. And it's just wrong. It's a biblical issue. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a spiritual issue. 
And so I think the first thing I want to do is check my heart. Mm. It starts with me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't change the system. I can change me. Yeah. And then maybe we can work together on some sort of systemic changes and that sort of thing. But I think that's that's where I'm starting to, you know, just dig deep mm-hmm. and contemplate. Like, is there racism in my heart? Is is there anything that I'm doing that would cause it to be more difficult for every single person I know to thrive? Man, I love that. You know, um, we all we often talk at SMCC about how people change. In fact, I think that's going to be a great podcast in the future. I think we are changed from the inside out, uh, first and foremost, not from the outside in. And so much of what I'm seeing on this topic, and here we said we wouldn't talk on this topic right now, but here we go. Just a few thoughts, um, is outside in change. I look at what I'm seeing and I, I feel like guilt and shame are the primary ways that people are trying to change people, which we know a lot about that from religion. Religion uses right. guilt and shame. So does social media. But inside out change happens when awe and beauty set in. That has, is what has changed my heart. And that's why this weekend in our service, we want to highlight the beauty that is seen in the life of a man named John Perkins and the beauty that's seen in diversity, because I think that can change somebody from the inside out. And I think when people change, uh, systems change because systems are designed by people. So I want to help as many people as possible change. I'm really excited about that because I actually know John Perkins. I, um, I used to be a college pastor in Southern California. And during the eighties, we spent many a weekend, uh, working with him, uh, trying to develop a neighborhood, uh, give people uh, more opportunity, um, just come alongside uh, of a very depressed neighborhood and and do what we can to, and I think that's the key word: come alongside, mm. not not in a patronizing sort of way, but in a way that's just saying, you know, like, I want to be in this with you. It's, mm-hmm. It was the number one drug area in the San Gabriel Valley. And John Perkins bought a house across the street from the top drug dealing corner in the entire San Gabriel Valley. His house had bullet holes in it when I visited him. And so this guy's for real. Yeah. And I, I have nothing but the highest respect for him. Love his book, Let Justice Roll Down. I mean, this guy is is somebody we can learn from. So tune in this weekend. Yeah, and I think, you know, above all things, you know, as long as listeners are still listening, they haven't been, you know, disagreed with us on this issue, right? Like, I want them to hear that we as a church, we as Christ followers, um, it is obvious um, in God's word that racism is wrong, mm-hmm. to take any action against somebody else based off of race or color or status. Um, senseless violence is, is wrong. Um, I think what we're seeing in our country right now is obviously um, we are we are wired to be frustrated and upset over injustice that mm-hmm. is built into us. Um, and so if anything we want you to hear is please tune in this Sunday and understand that, um, you know, absolutely um, just do not condone any actions against any person that mm-hmm. uh, would be based off of race or color. Um, and uh, and so we will have more, even more to say, but that's kind of the, 
the tip of the iceberg that we'll just say in this podcast. So um, if you're still with us, uh, what we just want to remind you quickly uh, before we jump into today's subject that I do think will be really uh, helpful for you. Uh, it's just the simple fact of that if you do enjoy this podcast, if you do think it's helpful, if you think it's something that somebody else might enjoy, uh, please, 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 this is an absolutely free way to support us and it takes only 30 seconds to do is to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, leave a review. That might take you 60 seconds. Again, a free way to help out this podcast or just uh, text and share it with a friend that will help a ton. And uh, we do have a voicemail again this week that I think is a really uh, great question to ask. I think it's somebody that's really thinking through things and uh, we we love people that think and process through things. We want to help answer those questions. So uh, just a reminder that that number is 801-382-8151. It'll be in the description of this episode and we'd love to have more calls to answer these questions and who knows we might get a lot a lot of questions uh over the next coming weeks with with um, just different current events that are happening um and and lastly before we jump in i just want to again say thank you guys for 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 supporting this podcast i know that you guys are we are already well well over a thousand downloads for uh this podcast and i know that's because you are sharing you are reviewing uh you are subscribing so thank you for that uh, we really appreciate this and want this to be a conversation that get to as many people as possible and uh, and help them and continue to help them live with more delight and less despair and uh so that's that's what we're jumping into today there's a really um i think helpful terminology that uh i have observed and i will not claim that i'm the expert on it uh, since i've come to this organization and i do think this organization is incredibly great um, at having helpful language that helps mm-hmm. us understand uh, things better. And one of those things that we talked briefly on last week, we just touched on it. We really just kind of, you know, touched on it and then moved past it, uh, was this idea of these words, um, identity, authority, and activity. And I think this deserves a longer conversation um, in relation to a whole bunch of different things. So, you know, Eric, kind of uh, when 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 we say that, or Paul, or whoever wants to kind of go first, you know, what's why do we have that language, or why do we even bring that up when we're talking about full delight um, and full devotion? Like, you know, I just want to kind of get something out there. What, why do we use that? I think this is uh, something that is consistently a problem in every single person because it goes back to the fall when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. They rebelled against his authority to tell them what to do, but with that, they lost a sense of identity because in the garden, they were loved by God. They were in fellowship with God, and when that fellowship was broken, they broke God's trust. Now, they had to achieve their identity or, or, or somehow earn their identity instead of simply receiving their identity from God. And so that was affected. Of course, we know that immediately they they felt naked, they were naked, and then they felt ashamed for the very first time. So shame entered the picture. They feared God, they hid from him, and then they started to blame each other. So this activity now was starting to be affected. Instead of functioning out of love for other people, they become they became self aware or self-centered or self-conscious. They were naked and ashamed. They started to internalize everything. And so that affected the way they treated each other. And 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 as time went on, uh, the whole problem with a person being self-centered has affected the, uh, our activity <coughs> in uh, how we 
relate to other people. And so it goes back to the fall. And that's why these three things, these are the, these are the issues that every single person struggles with. And so that is what also can be solved through embrace, embracing the kindness of, of God found in Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the gospel yeah. is, is all about those three things. I, I love hearing that. Um, man, I'm so excited to talk about these three things. You know, I, I, uh, like we said, I think last week is that so many churches are focused on just what you do as a Christian. They're just focused on activity. And when I showed up at SMCC, it was clear that that's not all we focused on, that identity kind of who am I and authority, who's in charge and who gets to call the shots and and who says those two issues actually need to be solved first before we get to activity. Because if identity is based on what you do, then of course everybody turns to their activity to try and figure out who they are. And if I'm looking at just my activity to figure out who I am, then I'm only as secure in my identity as my my last accomplishment and I'm as fragile as my most recent failure. Right. And, and so this becomes very, very, uh, scary. And the gospel really, um, changes these three things. These three things are at the epicenter of life change. And so, uh, we, I I realized as we were as a church talking about full devotion, uh, I remember where we were, we were, Paul, do you remember this? We were, we were at a cabin down outside of, outside of Zion and we were sitting there thinking, how can we make full devotion a, a bit more clear? I think we were trying to figure out, are there are there one, two, or three words that get at what we mean by devotion? And we stumbled onto those three things. For me, at least, um, it, w- it was a light bulb. It was an, it was an aha moment. And so for us, it's as a church, I think uh, it's been so fun to just say, we're not talking about just activity. In fact, activity is an overflow. You know, it's it's a byproduct of these other two things being, being addressed. And so um, I'm excited to talk about all three of these. I think um, there's some modern pathway to identity, which is no one tells you who you are. You just look within. The traditional way to identity was uh, your family, your community told you who you were. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to tease out all of that. I think you're absolutely right. As I you know, pondered all the sermons that I had heard in my life, I was thinking almost all of them ended with an action step about what more you can do. You can of course, pray more, read more, serve more, give more. You know, th- those are the those are the application points to most sermons, and how ineffective that really is, and how discouraging I think to to so many people. It's just not helpful. Mm-hmm. How much more helpful is it when a person starts to function and do out of a sense of a new identity and gladly receiving uh, their moral instruction from God Mm -hmm. in terms of his authority and understanding the commands as a gift from God instead of a burden from God. You know, this is a whole different way to live the Christian life. Man, that's great. So should we start with identity and really dive in and unpack that? Yeah. Well, I think as I'm, you know, hearing you guys talk about this, I know bits and pieces of your guys' personal story. Um, and I think for listeners, it's going to be helpful to understand. I mean, you guys both had, um, uh, really anybody's had a time, um, if they're a Christ follower, they did not follow Christ, mm-hmm. where the allegiance was not uh, with Christ. I'm curious, just to open it up, you know, Eric, Paul, before you decided to follow Jesus, what did identity, authority, and activity look like? What is what does that mean, or how does that look for, or how did it look? Yeah, well, for me, um, <clears throat> I think growing up in uh, a loving upper middle class family uh, in America, it's 
I was told this, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. And I think, uh, you know, I kind of grew up in, in a movement that had great intentions, which was, um, the self-esteem movement. I think there was a lot of good intentions around that. We wanted people to feel secure. We wanted them to feel encouraged. And so I grew up thinking, I'm going to be whatever I want to be. The coolest thing that I know of is to be a professional hockey player. So like as a kid, that was my dream. It was sports. And and so my identity was built around sports and uh, I was never that great at hockey. I mean, much to my parents, you know, they thought I was amazing, but uh, maybe (laughs) not. They just told me that I was amazing. Um, And so that dream crumbled in about ninth grade when I was going nowhere. And so I was like, okay, well, that's not working. So here's my next one. I'll be a rock star. Learned to play bass, got in a band, grew my hair out long, dyed it black and put it in my eyes. And I thought, man, now this is my identity. And of course, um, that identity becomes pretty all consuming. You you look the part, you hang out with the people, you go down that road. Your activity really does uh, highlight what you think your identity is. And then I was never that great. And of course, who can make it as a rock star? And of course, even the people who do make it as a rock star say my identity is, that identity was actually crushing, right? To look at John Mayer's life, he's been very honest about that. I've appreciated that. And so then um, I thought about my life and I just thought, man, my identity, who am I? What's the story I tell myself about myself? Um, I didn't have one. I didn't have, I was told I could be whatever, just pick whatever identity you wanted. You know, look within became the postmodern thing in my life. Look within and you'll discover who you are. And then I realized, well, I can do that. So I think I'm doing that. But really, I'm still living for the approval of people who actually gave me the permission to do that. And so I'm still have this external thing in my life telling me who I am. And so that, that became very problematic. And I realized up and through all that, I was just my own authority, which hadn't gotten me anywhere. Uh, and I really didn't have an identity that was secure. Um, I didn't have meaning. And so my activity was just uh, uh, sporadic. It was random trying to bring all these pieces together. And then, uh, then I was introduced to Jesus. And um, it's not like it fixed it overnight, but he invited me to follow him. He invited me to make him his authority, to make him my authority, excuse me. And that uh, that began a shift. And now, um, 15 years later, the little phrase in the New Testament, two words put together that sums all this up for me is the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That uh, speaks to a person's authority when you're uh, in Christ. He's your authority. It speaks to their identity when you're in Christ. What he's done becomes the source of your meaning for your life. And then in Christ becomes your activity. I want to live my life and do for others what he's done for me. So that is my story to an identity and an authority and an activity that I think is best described as full devotion to Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think this identity piece is super important because so many people, excuse me, so many people struggle from just a sense of uh, low self-esteem, that sort of thing. And I know I certainly did. As a young uh, boy, I was a chubby kid. I was the fat kid and uh, got picked on mercilessly being the youngest in my family. Uh, It it was pretty brutal. There there was no political correctness in regards to uh, being a fat kid back then. And uh, and fortunately, I guess, I did grow up, not just out, but up, Mm -hmm. and... uh, God gave me really exceptional hand-eye coordination, a strong arm. So I was a three-sport athlete, and I discovered, wow, uh, instead of being picked on, I can receive a whole lot of 
accolades and and appreciation and praise by just being ex, ex, uh, an athlete that excels at what they do. And so, consequently, I um, I don't want to sit here and talk about how amazing it was, but I was very successful as a, as a three sport athlete. Every sport, football, basketball, baseball was was good to me, and uh, was a leader on these teams. But internally. I had many conversations. I love that term. I think it's a Brene Brown term that uh, your identity is what you're telling yourself about yourself. I had suffered through so many, um, you know, just discouraging remarks made toward me. Those don't go away. And, and at the same time, some of those same people now were so complimentary and and it caused me to some degree to not trust people and not trust what they say because I saw both sides of that coin and so even though I was excelling in sports and leadership you know president of the student body things like that natural born leader um, had a, a lot of those things going on in the back of my mind I always knew that I'm only being accepted because of what I do. And the only reason I'm hearing these things is because of my achievements. And, and I think that's what ultimately led me to a relationship with Christ at 15 and a half years old. I really did crave unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. And that's what the gospel provides. And I embrace that. And um, I don't think my life has ever been the same. One of the good things about that is because that was so meaningful to me, I wanted to give my life in spreading that message. That's the message I want to I want to carry to people that are hurting and, and lack self-esteem and all this kind of stuff is just the security of identity found in Jesus Christ. It's, it's just amazing. I'm 100% with you on that. Um so let's dive into this identity a little bit, because I, I love what you're saying. You could perform your way into an identity is what you're saying. There Absolutely. are some people who can't, but some could. They could perform their way into an identity. And to some degree, um, that was my life as well. Uh, not the identity I wanted for myself, but to some degree, I think I was in a band on stage because I love the accolades. I love the praise. I love the applause. And so if you can perform your way in, in, into an identity, you you feel like you have meaning but it's only as um, secure as your ability to keep keep people happy around you. And you become a people pleaser. And that's an identity. We all know the dangers of that. And so I'm convinced that an identity outside of Christ, whatever it might be, a religious identity that I keep the religious people happy, I keep my, I keep my family happy, uh, I keep myself happy, at some point you are going to let those people down. And when you do, the identity begins to come down with it. And so this is this is the very scary uh, nature of an identity that is you can be whatever you want to be. Look within. This, this doesn't go away when you become a pastor. No. A lot of pastors suffer from a, a people-pleasing kind of disease and getting their self-esteem by a growing church versus, you know, some other way. And I'm... I'm really drawn to what Jesus did and said. Um, when the people were saying all these kind of thing, great things about him, Jesus, Jesus, it said 
this about Jesus, that he did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew they were fair weather friends, that, that they would go away. So, he, he, in other words, he did not take that acclaim and, you know, people saying all these great things about him to heart because he knew that would change in a moment. Mm-hmm. And he was absolutely right. And so, I tried to embrace that <coughs> in that I'm going to serve people because I'm called to do that by God, especially as a pastor, as a shepherd, whether they respond well or not, whether I get a claim for it or not, this is this is the right thing to do, whether the church grows or not. Whatever it is, really, I'm called to love and to serve and to accept and all the one another's of the New Testament. I'm, I'm called to that regardless of how it comes back to me. I'm, I'm not going to entrust myself to them in that sense. Now, mm-hmm. of course, you know, th- there's a sense of vulnerability that has to go with serving people effectively, but certainly Christ understood the difference between those things. Now, I've gotten honest with what you're saying before from the stage, which, and I'll get honest right now on the podcast, which is sometimes after a message, which is a very vulnerable uh, time. Uh, it's a very public type of work. Um, I could get 10 texts, emails, hey, that was great, that was great, that was great. But if I get one, hey, that wasn't great. It's that one that weighs on me more than the other nine or 10. And there, because to some degree, uh, my identity in Christ is it's still growing, right? It those those the criticism still hits me, and I think, I think the modern pathway to identity, the modern pathway to identity is to look within. That's what people say. Just no one can tell you who you are. You figure out who you are. Follow your heart. Go where your heart leads. Look within. The problem, though, with that is uh, I. I've seen this happen so much is we still want someone else to tell us that what we found within is worthy. Um, so I'm convinced really it's the, it's my performance plus the opinions of others that really equals my self-worth. I think that is, is, is really the equation that describes most people's identity. And, um, and, and so I think there's a lot of people listening who would say, yeah, I've lived that. And mm-hmm. when I, when someone's opinion of me is not what I want it to be, I'm devastated. When my performance is not what I want it to be, I'm devastated. When both of those things are what I want it to be, I feel great about myself. But that's the modern pathway. And, and I think what's so fascinating is when people say, no one can tell me who I am. I just look within. Really, you're just following post-enlightenment thinkers who gave you permission to do that. You just don't know it. It's just in the, it's in the, the air you breathe, the water you drink. It's so ingrained in our culture that no one can tell me who I am. Well, really, the person who told you that is someone you've never met, but their name is like Rene Descartes or something like that, <laughs> Voltaire. Like that's, it's so common. So in traditional society, though, in some ways, it was way more simple. My dad worked in a field. I work in a field. My dad says I did a good job. I feel good about myself, right? That was traditional. No one left their country. No one left their county. Like you did what your dad did and your kid did what you did. And that was life for for such a long time. And that in traditional society, that has its own challenges and problems. But in some ways, uh, I think it's a little clearer <laughs> and uh, to for someone to know who are the people that I need to experience praise from? So Tim Keller says it's the praise of the praiseworthy that's above all else. So back to the fall, we were designed for someone outside of us to tell us they're pleased with us. Ultimately, we were designed for God to tell us that. And that's why an identity in Christ actually allows for us to flourish. Your Instagram likes, they, it feels like the praise of the praiseworthy because you look up to those people and now they like you. So you feel great. 
but uh, we were designed for, for the praise of something much bigger than that. Go ahead. So Paul. I don't want people to miss this because you make such a great point. It doesn't matter if you're tradi- from a traditional society where it's all about the family, it's about the tribe, it's about the you know the the group that you came from. You want to honor that family, and and let's face it, most of the world for most of history has existed in this honor shame type of a culture mm-hmm. in society. But in a modern society, it's more individualistic focused, and it's all about me achieving my goals and doing my thing. And so consequently with that, there's the disintegration of the family because people are mm. self-motivated, self-centered, and, and self-focused. But identity will never come to you in a satisfactory way through a family structure and somebody telling you you've honored the family, that you're great – or through an individualistic uh, society and structure, in other words, performance-oriented, that sort of thing, only in Christ. And so this is a self-discipline that we exercise as fully devoted believers in Jesus Christ and delighted believers in Christ to simply say, God, I am who you say I am. Mm. And that's, you know, that's part of preaching the gospel to yourself. Part of who I am is a sinner and, and, and a person that's in rebellion and uh, consistently um, failing to do the things that I should do. But the other half of that equation is that I am loved and accepted and forgiven in Jesus Christ, and I love what you said. I'm in him. And so I enjoy the status that comes with being in him. And I have to tell myself that. And, you know, Lauren Daigle Daigle song, I am who you say I am. Those are the really important words that go with this idea. Absolutely. And, um, man, so so the invitation to the listener, this is the invitation we make at SMCC all the time, is to uh, not base your identity on your performance. Because that'll that'll cripple you, crum- that you know that'll crumble at some point. It's to not base your identity on someone else's approval of you, because uh, we all know that no one can bear that weight, and people will criticize us. Uh, it's not to look within to find uh, your identity, and I think I think Tim Keller uh, led me down this this kind of line of reasoning. If I look within, I actually see a lot of things within me. <laughs> I see uh, I see some anger within me. I see the guy that still wants to be the rock star. I see the guy that wants to be a loving dad. I see the guy who wants to just pack it up and surf on the beach every day for the rest of his life. I, I, I see the person who wants responsibility and wants to lead. I see the person who wants to give up all responsibility and not lead, especially during the crazy difficult times we're in right now. Which, which of those parts of me am, is me? I, I don't know which all those things are in me. Tim Keller says this, your culture gives you a filter for what's the appropriate part of you to come out of you. That is still oh. external, external uh, factors leading you to figure out who you are. So let's just be honest. It's all external. You cannot look within. If you look within, you see multiple parts of you. Um, and so he makes, he makes, I think it's in the book, uh, Paul, you love this book, Making Sense of God. That's the title of it. He talks about this. He says, someone who grew up 400 years ago has a different filter um, o- uh, from culture over their lives, which then allows certain parts of them to come out. And now in our culture, we have different filters that allow certain parts of us to come out. And when I was a youth pastor, I saw this, I saw this all the time. Um, I'll just speak to this and this, this gets, uh, this gets probably pretty punchy here in the podcast, but I would see this all the time with young high schoolers who were convinced, um, they were, 
they were homosexuals during a time in which their sexuality was still developing. But here's what they would happen is that they would have these desires inside of them and culture would say, or their peers would say, this is the part of you that we're allowing to come out. We're going to put a filter over your life. And because uh, your voice is more high pitched, you must be this. Or because you naturally develop relationships with females, you must be this. And so it was actually their culture, their peers putting a filter over their lives. And it was choosing which parts of them inside of them would come out. And I always wanted to tell them, you do not need to settle on your sexuality, nor your identity right now. This is a very confusing time and the filter over your life right now is not a filter that's helpful. Let's hold filters with an open hand. And um, man, I saw that all the time, but when I kind of figured out why are so many young people identifying um, their, with their sexuality is the most important thing about them, because it's not, it's not the most important thing about me. Um, but for some reason, why was that the the source of their identity? Why was their sexuality the the forming factor of their identity? It's because their culture told them that. And I wanted to say, let me give you another way. And that's that's why identity is so important to me. One of the don't reasons. Know, don't want to open a can of worms, but this speaks to the racial divide as well. Mm. The most important thing about me is not my race. Mm. The most important thing about me is not my sexuality. Right. The most important thing about me is not what I achieve. It's what God says about me. Mm. That's the most important thing that I can say to myself about myself is the same things that God says to me about me. Mm. Man. I think these are all, you know, good topics. And even, you know, even, you know, just bringing up punchy topics like that um, is helpful for people to think through um, just to to spur on more thought. Mm -hmm. Um, As I'm thinking about these things and I'm thinking about uh, South Mountain Community Church, as I'm thinking about people's journey, um, just, you know, I want to kind of go into, you know, probably for the rest of our time here is, you know, it's very common for us at our church to see uh, people who come out of religion. They just step away from most of what they've known, most of what they thought for a lot of their life. And they take they take probably a few years to just, just not know or to just not care. Um, and then eventually a lot of them start to come back and say, okay, I need to get so I need to figure this out. I need to get serious. A lot of times I see with people my age is they, they have a kid. They finally have a baby and they go, oh no, what, what are we going to, how are we going to, what are we going to teach this kid? You know, like there's different life events that can happen. And so what is kind of that journey that we've seen with people who come out of religion, um, start to explore faith, God, religion again, um, and how that relates to identity, authority, activity, as we see them come through our doors. Um, and it's not just limited to South Mountain Community Church. It's limited to, I mean, this is Christianity. We're talking about people who are, are making that journey to, to following Christ. What does that look like? I think that it aligns with the honor-shame culture, the traditional culture that we were talking about mm. most closely, because most religions are ancient religions, and they were formulated in cultures that are traditional. And so, consequently, religion can use that club of shaming so effectively. If you do not comply religiously, you will be thought less of. You will be uh, perhaps shunned uh, by the religious authorities. Obviously, shaming goes with that. There's, There's a sense of penance that's necessary to get back into the good graces, not just of God, but of the church or of whatever religion we're talking about. There's a system 
for you to follow, that you prove that you're now worthy to receive the goodies of that religion, be it blessing or, or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, religion and, and honor-shame cultures go together very well and explain some of the abuses that people suffer in many religions. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the cure is the gospel. Absolutely. I think, Adam, when people walk through the doors, um, I, I don't think <clears throat> you ever give up having an authority. I think you just shift who your authority is. Right. Now, I think there's probably a season where people do say, I don't know who I am anymore in terms of identity. Like, I don't know who I am anymore. <clears throat> All these things in my culture were who I am, and those have gone away. So I don't know who I am anymore. So I think people walk through the doors, and they need help processing these three big things in their life. Um, how should I live, which is the activity portion? Who am I, which is the identity portion? And who's my authority? Who is now calling the shots? And I think people walk through the doors ready for the conversation. And so all of our messages are uh, conversations around those those topics. So we haven't talked much about authority. And I think when someone swings from religion to uh, agnosticism or, or atheism, the shift is probably something like this. Not all, but but most of the time, it's my religion was my authority or my church was my authority, and I got rid of that because they were a bad authority, and now I'm my own authority. I think mm-hmm. that's a common sh- swing, which really is a swing into irreligion, I think, uh, postmodernism. I think a lot of people would say, no one tells me who I am, I'm my own authority. <laughs> we want to help people see why that's not a functional way to live, um, and, and here's why. Uh, there's four main questions in life, and, and uh, I think uh, it's a good chance to celebrate the life of Ravi Zacharias here. I think he... I think maybe he put these questions together, at least for the first time in my life. But the four questions are origin, morality, meaning, and destiny. Origin is where did I come from? So, you know, here's the interesting about identity and authority. They do go together because knowing who I am actually comes from a source that can tell me who I am. So these things actually pair together really well. So origin is uh, where did I come from? I hope I can get all these right. Uh, Morality, how should I live? So whenever you use the word should, you're appealing to a higher standard, um, which of course that goes into activity. So authority and activity are connected. How should I uh, live? What should my activity look like? Actually, it comes from an authority. So that's origin, uh, morality, uh, meaning. Why am I here? Why am I here? Which is connected to uh, to identity. And then destiny is is where is this all headed? Okay. And everybody has to have an answer to those four big questions to live life. And whoever you go to or whatever you go to, to answer those four questions, is your authority. Okay, so a lot of people go to their feelings. Their feelings are their authority because it's their feelings to answer those questions. A lot of people turn to themselves uh, and they're their own authority. Uh, People turn to God, people turn to culture. uh, People turn to a lot of different things to answer those four questions. But let's be clear, everybody has an answer to those four questions. Uh, or, Or maybe they're in between answers, I think. I think, you know, it might be, I don't know my answer to that question. So maybe people are in between answers. But your authority answers those questions for you. And so whoever answers those questions, be honest with yourself, that's your authority. Yeah, and it leads to a lot of self-justification. When you're your own authority, it's really hard to admit that you blew it, that uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're a bad authority. <laughs> and, and yet that's kind of essential to get to that point. I think that's what repentance is, uh, the change of mind, metanoia is mm. a change of mind. And, and with that change of mind, it's the realization that 
I need a better authority than me mm. to make sense out of life and to guide me because you're like a ping pong ball, you know, mm-hmm. whatever in that life that you live uh, by your feelings. Uh, a lot of times I like to ask people, uh, you know, how's that working out for you as far as going with your gut? And they say, well, I think pretty good. And I think to myself, well, would you tell your 16-year-old daughter going out with that 20-year-old guy to just go with your feelings? You know, have a good time tonight. Be sure to follow your feelings. Go with your gut. No. Absolutely <laughs> not. And so it's not good advice for other people, but we seem to think it's good advice for us. And that's what's weird about the whole thing. So as I observe our culture, here's what I'm seeing. And this falls into the category of people are their own authority. I've often said this, and and I'll say it, and then let me clear clear it up because there's a misunderstanding. It is a lot easier to change your beliefs than change your behavior. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to change your beliefs. That's very, very hard to do. But but sometimes if you love your behavior and you find that there's a habit that you love, there's a way of life that you love, when you're your own authority, you just go, oh, that's not a problem anymore. And all you did was you were your own authority. So conveniently enough, you changed your own beliefs to then justify that behavior that you like. What, what I'm finding interesting is when somebody wants to change, well, their behavior's changed already, and now uh, they're changing their authority. They often throw rocks at the church if, if their authority has been associated with the church. You know, and sometimes I think people are confused. Is the church my authority or is God my authority? Mm. But when they have that confused, they have to say something bad about the church or, or you know, condemn uh, the leadership of a church or something like that. And that's interesting for me to watch happen mm. because it happens a lot. Yeah. And there's false accusations. And let's face it, there there's some accusations that are accurate across the board in terms of religious authorities. Mm-hmm. But when it's obviously wrong and it's just an attempt to justify their own behavior and, and a switch in their behavior, um, I'm, I'm kind of saddened by that because – Instead of feeling confident that they've now come upon a new way of living uh, because it's legit, it's easier to just trash their old authority in order to justify this new way of, of living. Yep. So devotion at SMCC, we want to lead people to devotion because the more devoted you are, we're convinced the more delighted someone will be. So devotion is me taking my next step to make God the authority of my life. The, the person who says who I am, my identity is found in him. And therefore, I want to do for others what Jesus has done for me. And then that leads to my activity. So that's how it all comes together. You know, let me say one more thing about authority. Just because uh, something is commanded doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's it, A command is a gift from us. It's it's God letting us know, here's the way of thriving. And and I've written that ebook on giving and, and the argument that I'm making is that uh, support of the local church, if not tithing, is actually commanded in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. It says, as the Lord commanded. And in the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 28, we're not only supposed to reach out to people, love other people to the point where they understand the gospel, and then we're supposed to baptize them and then the last thing we're supposed to do is teach them to obey all that Christ commanded. He said, do this. If you're my disciple, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples and teach them to obey all that I commanded. And so if we believe that Christ is good, 
that he has our best interests at heart, then those commands are a good thing. They're not something to ruin our fun or they're not not restrictive. Jesus Christ himself said uh, that if you're wearing and, and heavy laden and you're just tired and burned out, he says, come to me, you know, put my yoke upon you, which is accept my teaching is what he's saying. He says for... Um, Oh, I can't remember now, but my burden is light, is what he said. And so the the commands of Christ, the teachings of Christ are good, and they're not burdensome. They're actually something that gives us more freedom and 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 a and a more opportunity to thrive than if we were to ignore his authority in our life. I think that's really, yeah, a good thing for for people to hear especially for Christ followers who are listening. And I'm listening to this conversation, I think what will be helpful for people to kind of almost, you know, wrap up this subject is to understand not just here identity, uh, authority, activity, but almost to picture it um, so they can think through it in their own lives. And I'm going to kind of date myself with, with a little bit of analogy here. I, I'm going to talk about an onion, and it makes me think this is going to tell you how old I am. I remember watching Shrek when I was younger, and he talks about an onion, and you kind of peel it back. He's like, I'm an onion. You know, anyways, I'm not going to go far down that. But if you picture an onion, the outer layers are activity right? That's what we do. That's how we act. That's what people see. Yeah, it's a lot of what people see. And it's obviously much, much harder to see somebody's authority and identity because that's a little bit farther in. But then, you know, as you rip off some of those outer layers uh, after activity, you do get to uh, authority. Um, and, And the authority influences your activity. And then if you go a little bit deeper into that, into the next layer, you find identity. And your identity influences your authority, which influences your activity. And so I think I just wanted to put that out there for Mm -hmm. our listeners to have that picture in your mind as you yourself are examining your life and looking at your identity, your authority, and your activity. And again, with with the activity is we want to do for others what Christ did for us. And, And that's what the one another's are really all about. And, and they're spelled out in the New Testament, love one another, serve one another, uh, uh, carry one another's burdens, forgive one another, uh, speak truth to one another, all these kind of things. It's, it's just the way to live. It's the only decent way to live. If you live like this, it would lead to a life of thriving. That's what... That's what we're talking about here. And the reason it's a life of thriving is because if I don't have to worry about who I am changing when someone criticizes me, come on, isn't that a delightful identity? That's a delightful way to live. Mm-hmm. If I don't have to worry that if I if I make a mistake, if I mess up, if I, if I have a failure in my life, that it doesn't actually uh, change who I am, then that's a delightful way to live. If I don't have to wonder... Uh, who gets to say? Who gets to answer these tough questions? Who's in charge of my? Who you know? Where do I? Who's calling the shots? If I don't have to worry about that because uh, Jesus has proven to me that He's the best authority, then that's a delightful way to live. Now, by the way, uh, if money is your authority, money has never done for you what Jesus has done for you. I love to say. I love to walk through this. Um, good feelings, fun, living for the weekend—that's a fine authority. But it will never do for you what Jesus has done for you, okay? Let's just run through it. What other authority has done for you what Jesus has done for you? Um, The answer is no one. So why would you choose a lesser authority when there is an authority like Jesus inviting you to make him your authority? And, And so for me, that's a very logical, very rational way to look at it. No one has done for me what Jesus has done for me, and that actually helps me choose him as my authority. 
Yeah. I think that oh, uh, Tim Keller has really put his finger on it. The the grand issue for today and postmodern type of world is the area of freedom. Mm. You know, people want to be free. But for them, that means free from authority. Mm. And what you just pointed out is there's never a time where you're free completely from unauthority. There is some authority in your life. And and so that attempt to push away from all restrictions and all authorities has has really led to a lot of misery. Absolutely. And, and lack of freedom. Absolutely. So if someone's listening and they want more resources, more content, I would point them to two series that we've done. Uh, we did a series last summer called uh, The Search, which is a series, it's just three weeks, and it, each week is talking about one of these three things. And then uh, a more lo- uh, lengthier series is a series called A Deep Series that we did. And uh, I think that was from the year ooh, 2017 or 2018. But uh, Yeah, I remember that, but it's somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah. so those, those two um, message series are are focused on these things. And I'd encourage anybody to go go listen to those because um, there's there's just a lot more content there. Yeah, and I'll say, you know, we got to kind of wrap this up because we still have a voicemail to get to you. Mm-hmm. But as I'm thinking even about next steps for people from this conversation, um, I think that's great, Eric. I will link those um, message series uh, in the description to this episode. Just that if somebody is thinking, I, I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm still trying to explore this. Uh, first off, this is a safe place to do that. Um, we're not expecting everybody who listens to this to have it figured out. Um, and, and the next step for you to continue to explore might be listening to that that message series. So uh, we really do um, want to help get resources to you guys. Uh, and, and, and we, man, we always say at the beginning of our podcast episodes, okay, I think we got enough to talk about. And man, we could just keep going on and on and on. I said this will probably be a short one. And it's... Getting right up there to be one of the longest. Yeah. So what I want to do is go ahead and kind of transition over. I think what's going to be uh, helpful is just, you know, kind of let it sit there with identity, authority, and activity and allow people to continue to explore and think about that. And uh, now we have a voicemail to answer that we got from somebody. And again, uh, we want people to ask these questions. This is a safe place to ask questions. We're never going to get a question and just be like, you know, that's a, that's a dumb question to be asking. We want people to do that. Um, and so I'm going to play uh, this week's voicemail. And uh, we're going to give you guys an opportunity to, to go ahead and answer that. So let's go ahead and, and play that now. Hi, guys. This is Sarah Willis calling from St. George. Um, I'm Eli's wife. I was just having had a question about polygamy in the Bible, uh, and specifically in the Old Testament, and if you guys could kind of go into that and maybe why God commanded it, why it's not okay now, why it wasn't okay a few hundred years ago, um, and just kind of the reasoning for it, and yeah, I guess just why it happened in the Old Testament. Um, Thanks. So, Sarah, first off, thank you for, for calling in. And uh, we got our St. George area really representing here. Really love that. And just a reminder, before we answer this question, if you want your voicemail uh, question answered and played on the show, the number is 801-382-8151. Big question, guys. That's um that's a big question. And I think a ton of people have questions about this. And I think that uh, this deserves an, an answer. Absolutely. So what do you, what do we, what do, what do you think Paul or Eric, you know, whoever wants to take that on, what do you, what do you think about that question? 
Well, the question of polygamy is an interesting one in that most people today view polygamy as immoral, while the Bible nowhere explicitly condemns it. We see it all over the Old Testament, Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon. In fact, Solomon, I think, had 700 wives, 300 concubines, something like that. But uh, he was actually told not to do that by God, Mm -hmm. and yet he and David both blew that. So why did God allow polygamy in the Old Testament? Good question. The Bible doesn't specifically say why God allowed it. He, he, He didn't institute it but he did allow it. And, and so if we speculate about that, one key factor might be the fact that it was a patriarchal society and it was nearly impossible for an unmarried woman to provide for herself apart from a man or a family, a brother or a father or some, some male figure uh, that would um, help her, uh, protect her, provide for her. Typically women were uneducated and untrained, it'd be very difficult to make a living. And so, unfortunately, many were subjugated to prostitution and slavery. And so, it was better to become a wife of a, of a man that already had a wife than to experience slavery or prostitution. Now, with that, in Genesis 2.24, um, clearly that a man was supposed to leave his parents in be united to his wife. One wife, one man. Singular. For life. <laughs> and in the New Testament, we have First uh, Timothy 3. Uh, we have uh, Titus 1. Th- these are uh, qualifications for spiritual leadership in a church, and it was one man with one woman. Uh, the, the literal phrase is a one-woman man. Mm-hmm. And so nowhere do we see Jesus promoting any kind of polygamy, um, he and the apostles obviously promoted uh, one woman and one man being married to each other for life. Divorce was frowned upon. Uh, polygamy wasn't even in the picture at that point. And so it was among the pagans, but not among Christians. And so Christians are very conservative in terms of, of marriage and sexuality and very liberal with their money. And the pagans were very conservative with their money and very liberally sexually. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea of prost- uh, temple prostitution was, was rampant during Christ's day. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, encountered that, especially in Corinth and other places, uh, Ephesus, huge uh, temple prostitution there. And uh, all that was banned by Christianity. Yeah, we also see uh, we also see a couple things. This might be too simplistic to say, but you know, a, a good filter for reading the Bible is this something that's being prescribed or described, prescriptive or descriptive. This is pretty simple, and Sarah, who called him, I'm sure she knows this, but I think this is just a helpful filter to always keep in mind. So when people say, "But it's in the Bible," it's important to respond, "Yes, but how is it in the Bible?" And often it's in the Bible as, "Don't do this." It's not just well, it's in the Bible, and he was in the Bible, and he was a good guy, so it must everything he had done must be good. There's plenty of times where God says, this person is executing my will. They're accomplishing my purposes. They honor me and glorify me, but this part of their life doesn't, which is still true of most of us as well. So this topic is similar to slavery in that God does not promote it, but he regulates it. Mm-hmm. And he sa- He talks about how women and wives need to be treated and, and I'm thinking about, oh my goodness, in Ephesians 5, it's it's one man and one woman uh, gave himself up for her. 
Now, in polygamy, it makes that, uh, you know, as Christ loved the church, you know, and gave himself up for her husbands, you need to give your life up to that wife, sacrifice for her. Well, if polygamy is a is a pattern for living, then that makes that analogy go away because uh, Christ has one church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's one man, one woman. It's one church, one Lord, one baptism. Mm-hmm. And so all that's pretty important. I think it's a really good answer. I think you guys did well with that. And what I heard you even say, Paul, is, you know, the word that stuck out to me um, as you were answering, you just said, you know, unfortunately, this was uh, the system. This was the way that the, the, the cultures and societies operated. This is not everything in the Bible is optimal. Not everything, you know, you even said it's not God said, hey, uh, polygamy is, is cool and we're going to go ahead and do this. Um, and in fact, what we've seen in the New Testament, especially is again and again, talk about one wife, one husband. Um, so... I think that that hopefully helps. Obviously, again, we could spend probably an hour episode just on that question, but hopefully, Sarah, that answers uh, that for you. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and just wrap up this episode. We know we've been on here for a while and appreciate your time. Appreciate you having us in your your stream. And um, we just uh, really would ask that you would go ahead and review, subscribe, send to a friend. Again, we would love to have you uh, send in a voicemail question. The number will be in the description below. And, um, and we, we do ask, just like we said at the beginning, that you would listen to this Sunday's message. Uh, we think it's going to be helpful, and we want everybody to understand. Um, just, just this idea, I just want to kind of end with this, especially this week, is just that um, we do see, again, um, injustice. We see in the, the Bible there's lament over injustice. Uh, we lament over the injustice of, of senseless killing um, uh, for any reason, um, and and it's and it's not right, and we see that in our world today. And I was thinking today, as driving over, I'll just end with a personal note. I was thinking about 2020 has been just a crazy year, and um, there's sin and there's death that we are experiencing, and it reminds me personally, I cannot put my hope in this world. Mm-hmm. I cannot put my hope in the circumstances that I'm in now. There's something greater coming. There's something redemptive coming. And I can put my hope and my future in that. I can't put it in my circumstances. You know, one, one last thought from, from me personally, from Eric here, I put this on my Facebook page, but um, I was really drawn to one of Jesus's closest followers. And the thing that he said at the very end of his life, after he saw Jesus crucified, the innocent killed, he saw so much evil. He's writing from a place of exile. He doesn't have much time to live. He writes about a day where he says, uh, someday all this evil, all the tears will be wiped away. Um, this is in the book of Revelation. I'm talking about what the apostle John wrote there. And then he, the last line of that book or right there at the very end, he says, come Lord Jesus, come. And uh, when we talk about this evil, um, my authority answers the question of what will happen to evil someday with this. Jesus will um, will be triumphant and evil will be no more. And uh, I live with that expectation today. So, Thanks for that, Eric. I yeah. think that's helpful. Well, we hope to see you guys again next week. Thanks again for your time, and we'll catch you later. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe, give us a rating, or share with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit our website at smccutah.org. Thanks again for trusting us with your time, and we hope to have you back again soon.